ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. About to share this episode thanks to these fine companies I depend on in the field. Game Changer Calls. The GC was designed with all hunting callers in mind. Though elk is the intended target, the unique size is a game-changing tool for turkey and coyote callers as well. It is not designed to replace your tube or open reads, but rather to complement the caller's repertoire in the field. Vortex Optics. Proudly made in the USA, Hoffman Boots. If you're heading to the backcountry and you need some meals that won't bog you down, check out SasquatchFuel.com. 100% compostable packaging was designed to combat litter in the backcountry. For more information on conservation in action, head over to SasquatchFuel.com. Titanium Archery Products. Dedicated archers deserve truly unique products that provide all the performance attributes that they demand, and that's exactly what TAP delivers. For more brands we run and trust, jump on westerncontours.com partners page. Look for the code Western Contours and save a few dollars off your order. So we're on with Mr. Ron Elmer from, uh, well, a couple places. <laughs> First off, Utah, <laughs> but uh, Boned Out Productions. And uh, well, I'll let you drop the... Uh, the other one there here in a little bit man but yeah i appreciate your time and uh sitting down and sharing with us man welcome yeah thank you appreciate you having me guy absolutely man so um let's go right in man um no delay here just drop us a little bit of intro tell us about yourself um and that outdoor life man oh man it's bow hunter just a dumb bow hunter uh i eat breathe sleep uh, bow hunting and uh, archery elk is my that's what I do I'll throw occasional mule deer antelope some bear in there once in a while but uh, that's what I do man is chase elk around with my bow uh, got my kid three daughters and a wife all of us hunt I got one of my daughters that's just as avid as me at it and 
Yeah, man. Between her and me and my partner, Phone Dot Productions, Richie Slaw, he, uh, we kind of gather our stuff every year and plan what we're going to do and get some family hunts in there, but that's about it. So how did uh, 2019 go for you guys and gals? It was good, man. Yeah, it was good, man. We uh, hunted bear in Idaho first. We didn't, you know, I two things I did this year, man, two different hunts. I, I'm not a guy that I've never claimed to be a trophy hunter, uh, but who don't like killing big stuff, right? But so we went to Idaho this year um hunting bears we got a bait going my buddy up there gets it all set up for us when we come in and uh, just keep it stocked and hunt it and i told my kid i'm you know i killed a really good bear the year before uh went in <clears throat> passed i don't know four or five different bears um ended up biting me in the butt my buddy did end up killing a giant and i told myself never again man first good boar <laughs> i just it's not in it's not in me to i'm kind of an opportunist so it's not in me to uh to, to do that so anyway we came after that hunt we come back to utah um hunted mule deer did really good my daughter killed a uh just a stud forked horn man like a second eight-year-old buck super old oldest buck i've i've ever had my hands on but uh then a, the day after that which is a little friday the 13th of all things um i killed the buck that was with him the the following day so yeah we did good there went to colorado got our asses handed to us over there one of the worst years i've hands down the worst year i've ever had in colorado i've never seen wind like that and that makes kind me of feel the good consensus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just us. yeah yeah that's been a lot of years that i haven't taken a bull home from colorado and uh i mean we i left everything on the mountain we tried every trick in the book but that wind was just i mean the, it's just total you know i hate saying this it's impossible hunting but that's exactly what it was man um, I mean, you can't even just, just glassing. You had to actually take the time to choose, choose a spot to glass, not only to see, but so trees didn't fall down and kill you. Yep. Like, yeah, yeah. It was crazy, man. But now, and then after that, I just been grinding all year on business, man. Just been, got a lot of things on my plate. Um, usually I'm chasing lions all over the place right now, but, uh, I think I've been out once this year hunting lions, just. It's been one of those years that a lot of things going on with the family and a lot of business on my plate. So we're just kind of grinding, man. And uh, we'll kind of give everybody a peek of what's going to happen, what we've been working on this February uh, at the Western Hunt Expo. So, Without dropping too much, unless you want to, what uh, give us a little bit, give us a little bit more so they know who and where they're looking uh so it's marco gear um we i me and me and rich france and uh michael labrum uh for for a lot of guys that'll listen to this that know me um out of from from game gear hunting uh we created a badass camel line dude that was just killing it and uh for for you know certain reasons we ended up shutting down game gear and I've taken everything that I did and learned from Game Gear, chose the right partners, and now we're going to relaunch uh, 
uh, camouflage line, one of two different lines we're going to launch in February, the first line, man. And we should be set up that guys can come down. It's Marco gear, uh, booth 420, man, come down and get your first look at, oh man, this is what, six years in the making we've been working on this. So, uh, we have high hopes and full intentions to see this one through, man. Uh, we're going to, we want to get out there and compete in this, in this bracket. So I'm pretty stoked, dude. So what's the, what are a couple of the standouts with the, uh, with the Marco gear? Um, couple things, man, the patterns, you know, I took, uh, the, the game gear hunting pattern. Uh, and you can see that pattern, man, if on like Instagram and stuff. If you go to, uh, Marco gear, you can see that that old game gear pattern and uh, me and my daughter, the bucks we killed are wearing some of the prototypes that we were testing um, during this season. But uh, so that's one standout, man. We, uh, we, the, the, the pattern itself, dude, I, you know, I know guys, we can get wrapped up in that whole camouflage crap, dude, everybody, you know, you can kill things and, and, uh, <clears throat> plaid and tans and grays and whatever. But basically what we've done is we've just taken all the black, um, all the dark, all the black and dark shadows out of our, out of our first pattern. And, um, just in full intention that even at a distance, man, it, you're breaking up your outline. That's basically what we've done and eat all the way down to the zippers and the buttons and everything else. We've taken all the dark out of it. Um, that's one thing. That's another thing too, is we've, uh, we've, basically went out and searched man and found the, the same textiles and the materials and hardware that we had with game gear um but uh, on another level so we've changed so we've changed a lot of uh the mixtures in it you know we've gotten made sure we have zero cottons um try to get away from all the spandex things that hold scent um but we've been able to do this and keep this first line uh out of at an affordable cost for a working man like us, man, you're working all day long, you're busting your ass, you're not going to drop 250 bucks on a, on a pair of pants, but you're going to get all the performance out of these. Um, uh, everybody wants to make money, but we're truly not in it um, to get rich, dude. We want to, we want to do what we were doing at Game Gear and offer a, a hunting line out there with all the performance everybody can afford. And then that'll be the first line that comes out. And then the second line that, you probably won't really see a whole lot of um, until this summer to fall. Uh, we have a whole nother pattern that we've come out with with the same intention of getting rid of all the dark. Um, and you'll, you can come to the booth and there'll be a sneak peek of that, that new pattern um, at the booth. Uh, and that's going to be a little bit higher level line. It is going to be a little bit more money, but uh, the textiles that we're running on this, man, we've sourced out. Um, and we're we're pulling fabrics that are competing with the the big dogs in the industry, um, and there's there's four or five of us that you know we've been backcountry bow hunting and doing that remote style backpack hunting since we were teenagers, um, and we've never fails no matter what we're wearing. I mean some some items that we tested man just knock it out of the park, but there's there's a few that are just badass that could that could have a few things that were different. And, uh, so we spent the last few years just in the middle of a hunt, just drop and write it down on a piece of paper. And uh, one of our, our designers that's, that's worked with me since game year, he's a genius, man. So I can go to him and talk to him about, hey, this is kind of what we want changed. And 
this is kind of what we want to do with this pair of pants and this dude can make it happen. So uh, we've utilized all of those aspects, man, to uh, to turn this into something special. So I'm pretty stoked to to get this out there this year. I'm excited to see it now. Yeah. So that's, uh, and made in the U.S.? Uh, so that's, that's the only hiccup, man, is we were a hundred percent in the U S now we're about 50%. Um, you know, in reality, dude, you know, since we're talking about it, it, it's not really the, you know, you can, it, excuse me, the labor, that's what a lot of people bring up when it's things are made overseas. It's just so much cheaper to make it there because of the labor and, and in reality, yeah, man, that, that makes your profit margins go up because you're not paying somebody 20 bucks an hour to sew. But that's not most of the reason we're 50% out is we just don't have the means to, to, to sew fabric here like you can overseas. Um, so we can pull textiles from here. We can, we can develop here. We can design here. Um, we can get certain pieces sewn together and it comes to us and then we finish it up and put all our touches on the hardware and stuff here in the U S. Um, but there's a lot of things and, uh, even, even just some of the machines, right? Like to get, to get two or three of these machines that we need to do the stitches we want, um, uh, machines to cut the patterns we want, what it would cost us to get those machines in the U S to do it. We just can't at this point, just can't afford it. Yeah. I mean, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars and, um, that's another thing, dude. I want to be totally transparent with, with our customers. Like when they were talking about sewing machines and why it's expensive and why we can't do something we have to go overseas. I do. I want to be totally transparent with these, with, with all of our customers, get them involved. Um, I put some, some samples on a lot of guys this year um, that I know are just badasses um, and they come back and give us their input and we've changed a lot of things and we want to create a community with Marco gear where, you know, guys like you, if you're wearing it, man, get on there and haul ass and Hey, these are, you know, these, these pants are badass, but uh, there's this one hiccup in them. Like we're all about, listening and making changes because we can right like it's not hard for us to 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 relaunch a new pant with a change in it like it it's not as big as deal uh, as people make just a little bit more work you know what i mean so that's another thing we're going to do with marco is just say totally connected and transparent and um have have people actually appointed to that where dude, guys like you you want to sleeve taper bodies that you know any of your torso aren't long enough like man reach out and talk to a student if it's a if it's a it's something that that people are consistently bringing up man it's easy for us to change but and and at the end of the day right that is everybody hollers customer service that is impeccable yeah. customer service at the oh, end yeah. of the day right Absolutely. but with a caveat Absolutely. right it's not something that can happen instantly folks <laughs> right yeah exactly <laughs> things right. take time well, and you know, here's another thing, man, that we're, we're kind of putting into play with Marco is, um, customization and, you know, it'll be a limited customization, but, uh, with game gear, it was such a big deal, man. A lot of, there's a lot of hunters out there that are big dudes, man. And they just bitch about inseams not being long enough. And I know a lot of companies have, have come out with, with pants with a 38 inch inseam and told the customer, Hey, you're kind of on your own, uh, with the hemming. 
you know, if, if that's the case, but what we're going to do is have, a uh, my, my partner, Michael Labrum is going to work on a custom shop in there where there's going to be a few alterations that we can do in shop before they're sent to you. And it'll, it'll add a bit of lead time to it. You know, you might add a week to two weeks to your, to your order showing up at your door, but you can literally get on there and say, Hey, I want that end seam at 36 and a half. And, you know, for 15 more bucks, we can literally hem those pants and they'll come finish to you at the exact, uh, length you want them. Well um, we've talked, we've talked about even doing a little bit of torso length changes, some sleeve length changes, um, little things like that. So, uh, that's another huge niche for us that I know customers want, uh, prior to this wearing other stuff dude i'm not that tall but my legs are long and i i i hate a 34 inch inseam when i'm trying to glass and i'm knelt down or sitting on my butt my pants are riding up over my boots or if we're on a horse riding into the back country and your pants are up and the wind's blowing up your pant leg it drives me crazy that's so. my boy, man. He's he's a narrow frame, but that dude's legs are long. And I was like, man, you're gonna yeah. have to wear your gaiters every step of the yeah. way, every everywhere you go. Yeah, yeah. But our standard, we're gonna come out standard inseams at 38 inches, man. Um, we're gonna have, you know, our when you talk about 2x shirts and stuff, we're adding four inches to the sleeve length. Um, six, six to four inches to your torso length for tucking your shirt in. Like, uh, we, we really want to game gear is huge, man, for the big guys, uh, you know, going to the trade shows and online sales, man, we were just, that's a lot of why we were doing so good is the bigger dudes could come and get stuff, but the smaller guys could get it and just hem them. You know what I mean? So we want to go one step further and, and to offer that, you know, you don't, yeah, in-house, man. You don't want that 38. You can put it in your order. You'll, there's a custom shop you'll see on there when the website's done. You can click on it and adjust your inseam length and stuff like that. We'll pull the order. We'll have a, uh, uh, somebody in-house actually altering. So we'll get to oversee all that and make sure all the customer service is good. So pretty excited. Yeah, that's a big deal, man. So dudes don't complain about it outwardly right and a lot of it is you know if you're wearing to call it the the big three or four um you're definitely not complaining about fit most times as as a man but it's a big deal like i had you know my buddy was talking to me um before season he's like man i'm trying this stuff on and and dude is huge i mean drew is is a big guy anyway and uh you know he'll put a shirt on and his torso is you know he, he might be a 2x and then he got these big you know monster arms and they're busting out of a 2x arm you know and it's just yeah. he, he struggles with it um so that's yeah that's nice to have that customization man. that's uh yeah, I think man. that'll be a big deal. Even though dudes don't holler yeah. about it, right? We just deal with it, but there's nothing like that comfort yep. in the field. Well, that's something I never, you know, like you said, I always kind of complained under my breath. Dang it, man. I wish these pants were longer. And then I got to a point where I'd buy two pair of pants and have my wife cut legs off of one and sew three inches or whatever on, you know what I mean? But I didn't really understand it until we, we launched game gear hunting and, um, I was on the ground dealing with customers, uh, you know, taking new products out and putting them in the hands of outfitters that we knew and having them just beat the shit out of it and come back and tell us. And then I, then it kind of hit me like, man, I get it, dude. Like 
it, I know you can, you can get a 34 inch waist pant or a 32 inch or a 36 and they're all 34 inch inseams, dude. It's just, uh, it's brutal for some guys. So, and it, and it's a lot more than I ever thought. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to really pay a close attention to making that available to everybody. So yeah, I can't wait to see it at the show, man. That'll be, uh, yeah, that'll yeah, be cool. Come by, dude. Definitely be good. So on another note, some of my favorite hunts, um, I got a ton of B-reel footage, <laughs> maybe C and D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so that's one of the things that uh, you guys do very well is uh, with Boned Out, man, is getting that stuff on film and editing there, yeah. and, you know, producing some uh, some good footage, man. So what are, what are the – so for me, the issue is I try and self-film, right? Most of my hunts – are i i shouldn't say most of my hunts my preference is solo hunts so it's a lot of solo you know self-filming stuff right which is crazy but there's a focus that you have to put on that camera equipment and that's where i i struggled last year we were in colorado getting our butts kicked just like you and i busted the camera out once and i'm like man you know forget this i need to worry about elk it just takes another another level of discipline, um, which I'm going to have this year, <laughs> um, <laughs> to really document a hunt, even when you're not self-filming, though. Right. Right. No, it's – man, I I struggled with that a lot, too, um, in the beginning of Boned Out Productions. I I always hunted alone. Like I, I've done it since I was a kid. I'd load a backpack up the old man had dropped me off somewhere and I'd hike in and he'd pick me up a few days later. Uh, so it's just what I knew. And, um, long story short, man, I, I met a guy back in like 2003 or four, uh, that kind of one of the first guys that he just kind of had the passion I had for, uh, you know, getting, you know, back then, man, it wasn't about getting necessarily away from people. It was just getting back where the more animals were, where your odds were better uh, because there was just more animals because it was remote. And I met this guy. We went back there. I started hunting with him, and it was, you know, I do a hunt or two with him a year, and then the rest of it solo. And then it turned into we were hunting together almost constantly. And we just had some really cool hunts back then, man, that, you know, shit that you would we would do and then say man could you imagine if we got that on film uh and that kind of turned into boned out productions somewhere around 2008 seven or eight and yeah we learned quick uh as easy as it sounds to just oh hey man you take the camera i'll shoot something we'll trade off like it it truly is a discipline man and not only that is you got to put some discipline in your equipment or it just turns out like shit when you get home. Uh, you think you got the, the coolest footage you've ever seen. We, we, you know, back then, man, we were, we were recording on little mini tapes and stuff and you throw that thing in and be like, Holy crap, dude, no one wants to see that. Like, garbage. <laughs> like it's garbage. yeah, it's garbage. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we, it, it does, man. It takes a lot of discipline and we've grown, we've grown uh with it and upgraded equipment learned a lot man uh my advice to to some guys you know i'm no um nobody to be giving it advice but if somebody asked me man audio like i have the hardest time 
uh, a good buddy of mine that films a lot too. We, we struggle watching some of these videos, man, where the wind blowing into a microphone drives me crazy, dude. It's, it's a $5 muff (laughs) to put on that microphone, but we learned the hard way, right? Like we, we did that. So, you know, graduating into higher gear and then, uh, getting over the you want to hunt alone is tough self-filming honestly i can't do it it's rough i've tried yeah i've tried and i i do good until the heat of the moment and then i just don't give a shit about that camera no more (laughs) it it never it never happens right like i always set it down and do my thing go oh well crap i got some cool b-roll but yeah no man I, i get it but uh when it all comes together that's that's kind of what hooked me on filming is when you, when you do get that first video that you can go home and you can edit it and you have a kill shot on there and you're like, that was worth every painstaking minute because it is painstaking, uh, not only dealing with it, but having somebody there and the camera on and you can't do nothing if they can't see it too. Uh, you can't just, you know, a bull walks out through the timber and you got a tiny little window and you either take the shot or you don't because the camera guy don't see it. So it's, it's tough, man. But, but like I say, once you, once you get it, man, and you get your first film out, it's addicting to come home and, uh, put it out there and let people see it. Like, I don't, I could give two craps if, if it gets likes or if I get subscribed to or any of that stuff, man, I just truly enjoy getting it on camera and then going and making a video and putting it out there. There's nothing like being able to go back to it and view it yourself. Yeah. That part is, you know what I mean? How many hunts have we been on where, you know, you're going, man, I wish I, I, like you said, I wish I had that on film. That'd be bad, badass to have on film. You get it on film and it's like, man, if I could download those other five hunts that I'm thinking about, I, you know, I, I love it, man. It's just like, again, yeah. back to the discipline part of it. It's just so freaking hard. <laughs> yeah, it is hard, man. You know, me and my kid, we've, my, my daughter, Kendall, um, we're, we're turning into a pretty good team, man. We, she's getting old enough now. She can do you know, she's 18, man, and she'll throw a backpack on, you know, a 60-pound pack, and we'll go in for nine, 10 days, and she's as tough or tougher than the guys I've hunt with. So um, it, we're, we're getting – we're getting – this coming year is pretty exciting for me with Boned Out Productions because we have some hunts planned where me and her can alternate with the, with the camera, and she's got really good. Um, so – and I don't know. it's It adds something to it, right? Like when I'm filming her – um, I, I really want to get that on film because man, one day she's going to be 40 and look back when she was 18 on a hunt that we did together. And that's priceless. You know what I mean? So, um, it kind of helps me with that discipline when it's her hunting or it's my wife or, you know what I mean? So, um, but we, we got some good hunts this year and my buddy that does boned out with me, Richard Slaw, he, uh, He's got some good hunts planned this year and we're going to do some, uh, or he, he's, he's more of a rifle hunter than a, than a bow hunter. So he's going to come film some of the bow hunts that I'm doing. And then later in the season, uh, when I'm, it's about time I put the bow down for a month or two, I'm going to go film some of his rifle hunts. So, uh, this year will be, it's pretty exciting for us with both, you know, with Marco and boned out. So 
It'll be good. I'm excited for no that's that's really in my opinion that's the way to go about it right if if a guy takes the rifle or a guy takes the bow then you you have that option or that opportunity to say hey film me in archery season and i'll film me in you know second third rifle yeah. whatever it is versus right. you know everybody has that same tag i mean that's uh yeah that's interesting it's hard, it's hard man so you, you yeah, brought that- up oh sorry go ahead no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's hard, man. What you just said when, when me and Richie struggle with that constantly, when we both get a Colorado elk tag and we both go in there carrying bows and it's like, okay, we're going to flip a coin, man, and see who hunts today and who like, dude, it's so hard to, to and what happens a hundred percent of the time you have good intentions and the camera stays in your backpack. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the, the truth, that's man. What happens. That's it right there. <laughs> that is it, man. That's resounding with me like crazy. So you, you mentioned the audio, right? And I'm a, I'm a, yeah. I'm going to say a somewhat of a sound freak. Um, right. What are you guys using like any lav mics? Or are you just, you know, topping the cameras with, with the roads or how's that working? Yeah, so I'm. I just buy one of the higher end roads. I'm, I I couldn't really like tell you the model unless I went and got it. But um, I buy. I really like Rode microphones, man. I've had. I've tried some other brands. Uh, they work really good, but they just can't take the beating that a Rode can. So um, I've stuck with the Rode mics, um, and I'll buy the shotgun style, man. So it gets out in front of that camera just a little bit, and then man, spin spend eight bucks to you know if you can buy a, a wind muff for those things i don't care if it's a, a get a 40 dollar one because there's a reason they're 40 bucks they're just a they take so much residual sound out of that microphone i mean i know today it's all about banging out quick youtube videos and nobody cares but man if when you get that one killer film that means so much to you and you go home and start editing that footage and that wind is banging on that microphone and you can't hear the bow you can't hear your your buddy whispering to you or whatever like it's worth that 40 bucks for for a really good wind muff and and cover that thing i had considered because you know the filming thing is is going to be heavy for us this year and i had considered doing you know a couple of uh a couple of the wireless lav mics i mean they're not super expensive right um, and then I have a, a zoom, the H four pro that I use for you know my mobile podcast. Um, yeah, and just go, in, you know what I mean? Go right in that, plug it into the camera. And then I got top notch audio. Yeah, for sure. No, we've talked about doing those wireless mics, man. Uh, you know, Nate Simmons and those guys, I, I pulled Nate aside at the show. Hey man, dude, I got at, you know, him and him and, uh, the other guys on that show, you, that's what they're doing when when he can be 20 yards 15 yards from the camera and he can whisper yeah they're they're priceless my only my only hang up with the man is the the battery power um uh, and it's another gadget that i gotta mess with when i'm on, on some of those hunts so but we have talked about uh we do we do hunts that we're not backpacking in eight ten miles or whatever we do a lot of living in Southern Utah, we got tons of big bucks around here. So, um, we do a lot of take off for two days and, and hunt here local. So on those hunts, man, I, we, we really seriously considered that ourselves. Uh, 
just because I'm not so concerned of being five feet from him when he's talking to me. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I recommend one or the other or both audio is huge, man. Especially if you're like us, you're elk freaks and those, those mics, those shotgun mics, you get them on the right setting. They'll get out there and pick up a bugle where, uh, especially with a wind muff, it'll, it'll take that breeze. You might not notice that breeze blowing, uh, in the heat of the moment, but that microphone's picking it up and you'll miss those bugles and the cow talk and all that stuff. So Field yeah, shot. man, I, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you don't have I'm that, huge. right, you don't, you don't have, you don't have yeah. the, the, the emotion of the hunt, you know, that, yeah. that full effect. It just, it's lost, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. That's why a lot of these, the really popular, uh, you know, hunting shows that are just killing it, uh, that are even the ones still televised, like, if you really sit and watch them, man, like I pick apart uh, a lot of the, um, you know, the Western hunters or whatever, but I'll sit and kind of pick apart their video. And if you listen and watch, man, like, like half of that video, their films are audio. You know what I mean? Like hearing, hearing that bull chuckle and, uh, the, your boots crunching on pine needles. Like that's a huge part of it, dude. So yeah. So any advice from me, that's, I would say, you know, get the best camera, obviously, that you can afford, but spend some money on that. Save a little for that, that microphone, man, get that audio. What do you, what are you running for a camera? Oh, uh, man, right now. So we just switched. Um, we've been running. So we've been running the Canon. Uh, what were they? The HFGs uh, for a long time. And the problem with those is, I mean, they're great cameras and they can take a beating, dude. And I don't know how many times I've gotten them soaking wet and they've survived. Like they're, they're like one of the ultimate cameras for hunting. But we just recently, oh, was it last year? We changed to the Sony and I went with the Sony RX10 3. And probably the biggest reason for that is, running those canon hfgs um they're killer for video but you also are having to carry another camera to take photos with so we're carrying a you know a canon rebel in the backpack plus your video camera plus now you're carrying batteries for both, both cameras them, yeah. like yeah so i was looking for a way um to kind of lighten that load up a little bit and get rid of some of the gear and my buddy uses has used the sony for quite a while and I went and filmed one of his hunts for him and I used his Sony. And after that hunt, I was sold. I, I come home, bought one and I can do, I mean, way, even higher, way higher quality, obviously film with this camera than the Canon HFs. But, uh, not only that, dude, when it's picture time and you're doing the grip and grins, uh, that, that camera just rocks it, dude. And you yeah. do time lapses. I can do it all. Time lapses, the, photography the film all with one camera so that's kind of why we've chose it but yeah the sony rx10 man you can't you can't beat it and you can get some of those later models for pretty good price right now and they're they're pretty badass yeah i've been uh, running that the sony ax yeah so i'm looking at good up, one upgrading there um because that's seven what is that the seven two it might mm-hmm. be, yeah that's out it might be seven three now that fast i think it i think yeah, I think it is a seven three actually. Uh, 
So my buddy Kelly's running, he runs that camera as like a secondary camera. Dude, that camera's no joke, dude. That's a Heck good camera. No. Yeah, I love them. Those, because I, I was, I was just using. The, I have the the HFG, my Canon, and then I had a 7D. And uh, the biggest thing, like you said, like when I take the 7D, it was like it's the bulk on that camera, man. And then you have the extended yeah. pack, you know, battery pack. Um, oh, <laughs> just a monster, yeah. you know, just the size of it alone. It was just like, yeah. yeah. So I had to, yeah. I made the switch because the Sony's, right. I mean, the compact, the battery life is stellar in them, in my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. I carry probably, I carry, I think about six batteries. Um, yeah. See, so that's my only downfall. When I left, that's one thing. I'm glad you brought that up because that Canon HF, man, uh, their batteries last forever, dude. And we carry, we just buy those the aftermarket, Extended. like the double size. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> dude, and they were fine. We'd take a little solar panel if we needed to charge them, which we rarely did. Now, this Sony is a whole other animal, man. Like, we'll eat batteries because they're so little. But when you got that camera rolling, for five minutes straight or three minutes straight or whatever because that bull's coming and you don't know when it's going to happen so you don't want to shut it off yeah you'll eat batteries so we're carrying i think i carry so richie's filming he's got five or six and i have five or six man so we got tons of juice and, and never then you know back in the canon days rarely did we charge battery but on these sony's i mean every time there's sunshine we've got something plugged in on a, on a panel so yeah i wonder if that if that's the difference in that rx because like i said that the ax it doesn't i haven't had that issue with them um unless yeah. unless unless i am recording for like you said for a while if it's just full-on record then it, it does it yeah. definitely eats them a lot faster but just you know on and off type operation yeah they seem to be uh at least yeah. at this point, they seem to be lasting me. Right. I think that you're right. The RX, man, it, it takes a lot of juice to turn that camera on every time. Um, if you're, you know, you're especially if you're trying to save batteries and you're actually shutting it off and moving, you know, you got a bull moving, so you turn it off and you haul ass, turn it back on, turn it off. Like it, it, it does eat some juice turning that thing on and off all the time for sure. Are you, are you guys you guys on a tripod or are you just monopod how are you doing that um so if we're if we're elk hunting man you know if we're back there usually any kind of elk hunt we're doing we're we're backpacked in and most of the time uh we well you know we were we did a monopod for a long time uh with the cannons we we put a, a camera handle on those cannons where um, you know what I'm saying? You can just grab it like a suitcase and take off and then hold it by the side. And the way those were set up with the legs on those camera handles, you could just kind of lean it against your chest and uh, it, it worked pretty good. But then when we moved over to the Sony's, um, you can't put them on those and keep a mic on it and do all that stuff. So we went to a monopod um, and that's pretty much what we've ran uh, this year. We, we went with some carbon, uh, I want to say they're Manfrotto's, but we went with some carbon tripods and we just fold all three legs together and use it like a monopod. That way, if, you know, if I got a bull that's actually going to come in and I'm not sneaking in on him, you know, I'll have Richie set up behind me or, or me behind him. And 
with having that, I can hurry and just throw those legs out and it's dead steady. Um, cause it, dude, I mean, you can, you can set the mode on these cameras to take out camera shake and all that, but I've still had bulls come in that I'm filming and I'm shaking like the leaf and I can see it when I, <laughs> when I go edit video. So, uh, even on a monopod, you'll see, I've seen see it. it. So, yep. yeah. So this last, the last two hunts we did, we actually used a tripod, just a super light one. And, um, I think we're, we're running like a, like a Vanguard. Um, I'm pretty sure it's just a Vanguard, uh, fluid head on it. Nothing real big or bulky or expensive. Uh, most of our filming's kind of on the move, you know what I mean? But those, just those Vanguard fluid heads, you can throw them up there and loosen them up and they're, they're super silky, man. I, yeah. I've never had a problem with them. So. Yeah. I, I prefer those fluid heads over those balls. Um, yeah. Cause I run the, for the sure. I always think I'm saying it wrong. The Siru. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Carbon and man, that thing is, it's so light. Um, and that was one of the issues because I had them on Frodo and it was just, it seemed like, yes, it was light, but it seemed like it was bulky to me. It's, it is bulky that we're just talking about that. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Yours is a little bit, little bit leaner. Yeah. So I went with that. Sure. The, but the issue, the downside to not having that bulk is that even at a minimal win, I got to deal with a little bit of movement, um, with, with the tripod. You just you just pick it up more, right? I mean, you could wait the center post, uh, you know, with a pack or something, but right, you're still picking it up. But man, it's uh, it's just a lot smaller of a tripod. So far, I've, yeah. I've really enjoyed that thing, man. Yeah, that's a good tripod. That's actually, uh, we'll probably move up. I've tried, I bought the outdoorsman's man, and if I'm just spotting. You know, if I'm just hunting, I'm not filming, I'll throw, I'll take an outdoorsman because they're super light and I can put my spotter or whatever on it. But for filming, those things, man, I struggle because they're noisy. I always get a squeak, a squeak or a clink off of them or whatever. But those are probably the lightest ones, but the one that you got, yeah, that's, I'm almost positive that's what we're going to move to this year just because it's super lean compared to the Manfrotto. So do you guys, and I'm I'm just picking stuff here. I'm seeing how how good I yeah. think I am. So, and I kind of screwed up. So this on the on the serial, I got the the twist lock, and I should have got the freaking clip. Uh, what are you guys yeah. running? Are you using twist or using the clip? The clip. We're using the clips, man. They're just way way faster. more convenient. Yeah, way way super faster, and they're they're solid too, man. You know what I mean? You're not getting any movement out of them. So yeah, we're we. Me and Richie are both running the clips. Yeah, I thought I was gonna like the uh, the twist lock better. I don't know why, because the speed, the speed with the clips is. I mean, you just flop yeah. the whole leg, and you know, boom, 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 it's done. Yep. And these, done. Are, you know, I'm getting to it now to where you know, if I'm extending it, they're all come. You know, it's compacted up. I can tw- un- unlock them all at once, but then it's twist, right. twist. You know what I mean? It just, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's those little, yeah. It's those little details that will <laughs> make you say, "Screw the discipline." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. True yeah. <laughs> story. Yeah, you'll you'll struggle with one of those legs, and it just gets to. After two or three days of that, man, I mean, you're already, you're already busting your ass out there. You know what I mean? You're, you're grinding away at that, at that stone all day. And those little hangups, man, start to get you. Oh, like yeah. they'll, 
you know what I mean? It's that X factor that, that will finally on day three or four, you're like, man, I'm done with this dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then the guy you're, the guy you're with, as soon as you say something, they always say, yeah, I'm good with the dude. Let's just hunt. (laughs) That's it. We'll just take, we'll take pictures for, for Instagram, man. That's it. (laughs) That's what it turns out. Pull out the the phone or the GoPro. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Oh, I have something right there and I just, I just brain farted on it. So one of the things that I'm, that I'm very curious of, right, because of the self-filming thing is when you guys are going back and forth, you know, he's filming you and you're filming him. How do you deal with that? There's always that creative aspect, right? That eye for how we're framing a shot. How do you guys deal with that? Are you just in tune with it or is that creative? Is that creative eye you have different from his? Yeah, it's different for sure. Um, especially with Richie, well, you know, I've done it a lot longer than him. So, um, sometimes I'll say, you know, I'll tell him, Kate, look, man, do you see that the rain dripping off this branch, right? Like get a shot of that for, for the B roll. Look, it'd be badass in an intro or, or an ending or whatever. And he'll do it. And, and then when I see it, it's completely different than, how I envision filming it and then vice versa too. Like I'll, I'll do a shot that he's like, well, I was kind of thinking of it, something different. So, so kind of how we've, we've kind of battled that and gotten way better at it is, um, I will find something, uh, like on the off season, man, like right now we're, we're, we'll be doing it all through the expo when we're, when we're filming at the expo, you know, we always go over to like, uh, Paul Kendall at Vortex and we do an interview with him and, you know, the guys that were lucky enough to sponsor this crazy stuff we do. But, um, I will, we'll both look at that camera screen and we'll talk about it and then we'll find a video. Like I'll go find a DVD, uh, hunting DVD and we'll watch it. You know, for if, if I'm up doing a show and me and Richie are in a hotel room, man, I'll throw it up there and, and see like this is what I'm talking about, man. Like these are the shots we want. And then he'll show me and then after after you kinda go over that and you kinda understand uh each other's vision, it, it's a it's amazing how it comes together. Like this last year in Colorado, we didn't kill a bull, but um with me and Richie and my daughter filming, um we've kind of done what I just talked about long enough that we kind of all have that same vision of what we want. Like I'm editing a video, uh, tonight that I'll probably release before expo, but, um, uh, my, my daughter killed a, a velvet buck on a water hole, uh, two years ago. And I've just been so busy. I've been sitting on it. So there's some B roll in there that she did. And I didn't even look at it until I, I got literally got to the editing page, but, from doing that, man, and sitting with each other, because it's important. I mean, if you're going to do it, you kind of both got to be visually on the same page. Um, everybody kind of has their uh, their technique, right? Like their their way of doing things. And if your filming is totally different from his, and you go into the editing room, some of it don't mesh all the time. So uh, that's kind of how we beat it. We just we find videos, and I explain to him, or I'll even take a shot with a camera and say. I'll do it. I'll pan or whatever. I'll do a shot and say, okay, this is what I'm talking about. And then he'll do one. Like if I'm walking through a stream, man, and he wants me to splash for the boot factor, right? Like Richie has no problem telling me, nope, do it again, dude, he screwed it up. You know, like (laughs) we be definitely vocal about that. And then we just watch a ton of footage, man. And we talk about it and 
and prior to a hunt to get like i guess that's most hunts we go to we're driving for a while so you know a couple hours to that drive we're definitely talking about how we want to go about kind of showing that hunt you know what kind of the vibe are we going to do a a little bit higher pace kind of you know that hip-hop type music to it and make it a fun hunt or are we going to go a little bit slower slow the music down put some slow-mo in there you know what i mean like make it a, a more of a film instead of a video um we talk about <clears throat> we talk about that prior to each hunt and then that's so we're all on the same page going into it and what we want to do with this hunt like we have a plan right like it might not ever work out the way you pland but you, ha- you have an idea of how you want to show it you know what i mean right. no, I <laughs> we hear you. A, That's why we just started with a plan yeah that's sort of like the hunts but, right yeah for sure <laughs> for sure for sure yeah because i mean there what what's worse i mean there's a lot of things but what's worse than sitting down if you're the guy editing said video or said footage right. into that video and you're not into what you captured yeah you know but oh yeah sitting down and being excited about putting that footage together is one of the to me is one of the the best parts it's my, one of my favorite parts about that entire deal not just the end process but the excitement of going through and oh man this would look great here and that would look great there um and really putting it together but if you're not excited about it because you're arguing about how the footage should have looked man it's like yeah that's sitting there for a while yeah oh yeah we i've got I've got thousands and thousands of hours of footage. There's a, like, we've even, we've got a lot of hunts that we've even got the kill shot, but honestly, man, like that kill shot's important. Don't get me wrong. But if you don't have kick-ass B-roll to, to tell the story of what you're doing, to, you know, to give that viewer a view of what's happening, right? Like, man, let them, let them know you're in the backcountry grinding your ass off. Let them know that, uh, you're pumping water and, you're eating out of a freaking pan for nine days, like show those things, but, but do it in a really uh, cool way like that. That's going to make your film, man. That B roll is so important. Like, I mean, you look at, look at some of the best videos or films out there. Um, literally the hunting part of it's a fraction of that video. Uh, most of that video is just kick, kick ass B roll. Um, telling the story well so okay so i'm gonna just bring up the bullet list i sent you right it's not scripted but it's bullet list but that that in your element that is in my in my head being in my element and and showing that and expressing that through that video is far more important than showing that kill shot yeah so funny about that video man is so the guy that filmed that hunt was my buddy dennis and um, you know, he was really good at the camera, but we've all, man, with having kids and life and stuff, you know what I mean? We, me and him don't, we, our schedules are so different that we just don't, can't ever really get on the same page. We don't hunt a lot together. We're still buddies. We do hunts together when we can, but so that hunt that he filmed, uh, you know, we went into that hunt talking about that, like that, that specific place that I was hunting there in, in Colorado, um, man, it's like, it feels like I'm home. Like when you pull into that trailhead and that cold September air, right? When you get out of the truck, you've been in the truck forever. Like, dude, it just feels like, oh man, I'm back. Like it feels so good to be back. So 
that's how that film name started was man i just this this is where i feel the most comfortable is when i'm doing that and uh we talked about that throughout the hunt and i and we kind of went into this funny you know like i said making this is your plan on the film this hunt we went in with the intention to do a good film uh we did a local film event that year we wanted to, to release a kick-ass like a full film not just a video and that was the plan but I told him, I said, look, man, you know, we get in on this, these bulls. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a fan talking about elk hunting. I'm a fan of putting my calls in my pocket. If that bull, if I can get a bull to talk and he's talking on his own, then I won't touch a call. I'll just sneak in nice and tight and quiet and keep the wind right. Then I'll catch him raking a tree or dogging a cow or whatever. And I'll and just smoke him. And that's, that's kind of how that hunt unfolded and 10 minutes well probably uh, probably a half hour but i had a bull we kind of did a little calling and a little raghorn bull came up and he was legal in that unit and i didn't shoot him and this other bull was talking and we knew this big bull was in there from years prior and on the way in there man you could see in the video if you watch close we're we're sneaking across a little creek bed and he he stepped and crunched on a branch and I looked back at him and that was one thing that me and him had is I didn't have, I don't ever have to say anything to him. Like I could just look at him and he knew, Oh, I'm staying back. You know what I mean? And he's going to film what he could. And even though you don't see the arrow hit that bull, you can see the bull, you can hear the whack. Like even without seeing it, the B roll is what made that film so popular. That B roll is badass. And it, it, it came across exactly what it was like there like the heavy backpacks the filtering water man the walking your butt off the taking a nap during the day waiting for them bulls to bugle between noon and two you know what i mean like yeah that that that's probably one of my favorite films of all time that we've done is that is that my in my element i love that video the high uh, and and uh, I mean, fuck it maybe offense to somebody but the highlight real part of <laughs> of filming it's old hat yeah. it really is old hat right yeah and it I, is. Yep. there's a there's a false sense of everybody could do this and that yeah that may be the case to a point but not everybody is going to go out and put in the grind that the majority of our demographic is putting in right successful or not that level of grind is what drives the majority of us right so to have these absolutely highlight films just drives me (laughs) it's just (laughs) apeshit batty and then it doesn't yeah for the for the outside looking in the highlight reels don't tell a story that not say well we do need a little empathy as as hunters right we're kind of up against it right but it doesn't tell the love the passion that grit that determination and everything else that goes along with it the highlight films just oh, i killed an animal grip and grin see ya you know it yep. just I, I can't get with them no no you know and that's unfortunately man like you look at like the popularity of of youtube videos dude if you can keep that thing under three minutes it goes ape shit but if it's a eight nine minute film like the only people that really it's your harder core guys that are going to stop and watch that video they're they're either they're either watching it man because it's striking a chord with them 
or they're watching it because they hate you. It's one of the two. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'll just say it. That's the truth. Half of, half of your views are people are just pissed you did such a good job. But, 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 but no, it's, it is a whole other level, man. Like, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I, I call it the suck, man. And I love the suck. Oh, yeah. When a hunt, when a hunt's bad and, Man, I and I went through a lot of guys I've hunted with that they're they throw in the towel and just say I'm out, dude. Like screw this shit, I'm gone. And, I, and I've they've left me or I've left them or whatever. That's kind of when I I've I've shined. Like honestly, man, most most of my bigger animals have been, uh, you know, just one more day. You know what I mean? Um, that that big bull on my element was kind of the same thing with me and Dennis. We were kind of going to run in and bang it out on the first pull we can find in there. And it, it was that it, we just left the truck with that feeling like, Nope, it's not going to be like that. We're going to, it's going to be a long grind. Like we ain't coming home until we kill something. And we've had hunts, man, where we've, uh, one, another one of my buddies that we've hunted with, like, we'll, we'll put a backpack on with, Oh, nine days worth of food, and that's that's probably honestly more like six days worth of food. But we stretch it to nine, and we've ended up being there twelve days uh, until we until we freaking kill a bull because I I can't get it. It's gonna be a year before I can come you back do it again. Yeah, and it, yeah, and I and I just love it. I love that it sucks. It sucks so bad at the moment, but when you're at the truck and you the meat's there and you lay that head in the back of that freaking Cummins like dude it just feels so good to be done you know what I mean so and then it adds like you said the the you know how hard that is now throw a cameraman in there and try to tell a story and not you get up in the morning dude you don't want that camera in your face while you're making coffee but you do it anyway because you know when you edit that film it's going to be badass it's going to be worth every minute of it yep yeah for sure um so i'm gonna step us back a little bit and and we've been talking filming but you had said something you know you'll put your calls in your pocket and you'll you know you'll sneak uh-huh. in get all stealthy on them and there's some risk versus reward that that calling if they're talking right so give us a little bit about yeah. that um so calling man like i can bugle dude i'm not I'm not the best caller out there by any means. I can do it. I've, I've called, you know, a lot of elk in and it, a lot of it's the area. What some places in Colorado, man, you, you might as well throw your cow calls in the, on the trail and leave them. You're, you're not going to get anything, uh, unless it's bugle, right? Like there's a lot of that for me over there. Uh, the cow calls, man, you'll get them to answer you. But if you want that bull to come in and just kill a bull, like the bugle is where it, it's at in most of those places. Um, but I, you know, to me, my, I feel like my odds are higher. You know, you're calling a bull in, you know, he's going to come in, but you don't know, you're never going to know if he's going to come in and give you a shot or not broadside, whatever. But if I can get him to talk to me, if I can bugle and he answers me and he's however far, and every couple minutes to 10 minutes, you know, whatever he's bugling and he's telling me where he is, I won't touch another call. And there is a lot of risk to reward because you're nine times out of 10, you're hunting a bigger bull. So, you know, he's going to have cows. So that's your, that's your first problem is getting to him. Right. But if he's bugling like that, 
and you, you're not having to run a gun and you're rushing in. You can take your time and get the wind right and move left or right, whatever you got to do. I've killed, I've probably killed 60% of the elk I've killed without a call. Uh, or you probably, it's probably a higher percentage than that. Um, just getting him to bugle. If I can get him to get fired up, and I've even got him fired up in the morning, couldn't close the distance, maybe see him out there in the pines moving around, but the wind or cows, I can't get in. Another thing that's worked for me is I'll back out and leave him alone. He's going to bed down, and it's, most of the time, even during the rut, at some point, he's going to lay down. And as soon as those cows get up and start milling around, and, I, and you can set your freaking watch by it between – noon and two somewhere in there then them cows are going to get up and mill around a little bit and rebed and when they do he's going to bugle whether he's laying down or or whatever usually what happens is he'll bugle when the cows start moving around he gets up out of his bed if he's not right next to a wallow he'll walk to a pine tree and he'll beat and rub and beat up that pine tree for however long and he'll probably rebed one more time before the afternoon right and some and that's not generally speaking all the time but usually they will so my window there is if i back out and he's bedded and he's got cows and then cows start moving and he bugles man that's that's usually when we kill our elk um if you can slide in you got a lot of cows bedded um, you might have one or two cows up and moving instead of the whole herd. Um, he usually gets up and walks out to the edge of the, that herd somewhere, like I said, and beats a tree up or, or splashes in a wallow. That's exactly how I killed that bull uh, in my element. And I've probably killed six or seven other bulls that way. Yep. So on the other side of it, right? So we called risk and reward there. So on the other side yeah. of that risk and reward, if you have if you have that bull bugling, and you're constantly calling at him, he holds up. I mean, that, you yeah. know, if you're going to sit there, and, and I went through this last year twice, you sit there and call and call and call, he's going to lose interest because he's, hey, I'm here, you come to me, and you just sit there calling mm-hmm. and calling and call instead of getting aggressive, we'll call it. Right. And, and sneaking in on him. I missed two opportunities last year because of that. Yeah. See that? And for me, I've always, when they come in like that and they hang up a little bit out there, even young bulls I've had do it, they've come in and, you know, they, they'll get within, they might be even with bow, in bow range, but they're they're in the trees or whatever. Man, if they're looking for a visual, and if you can't give them a visual, Dunzo. which you're not going to be able to, it's done. You, you might, honestly, man, one less than 1% of those bulls are, are ever going to give you a shot. Um, I, I Now, Calling, here's how, how I've killed them calling, and this is old hat in the oak world, but, um, man, if I if I call a bull and he's fired up and he calls again, I call, he calls again, and he's cutting the distance, man, I will run my ass off right at him. I'll, I'll cut 200 yards, 300, 100, whatever I think sounds right, according to his bugle. I'll cut that down, and I won't move. I won't say another word. I won't cow call. I'll just have a reed in my mouth. I've killed a lot of elk that way too. Um, they're just going to walk past you. You know what I mean? To the, to the, the bugle they heard, um, and just stop with the cow call and pound them. And, um, we didn't get our last really epic elk hunt on video. Another one of those good intentions and the camera got put away, but me, 
uh, me and Richie actually doubled up on bulls, um, not last year, but the year before in Colorado. Uh, he killed a, uh, like a, like a 300 inch, three, 305 inch, something like that, six point. And I just killed a, uh, just a big five. But, um, that's how we, we killed both of those bulls. Like I bugled, he answered, we cut the distance, I shot my bull. And then it was like two days later, we did the same thing to Richie's. It was like, but one thirty in the afternoon, I thought, man, he's got to be up down there. So I bugled. He answered me. I bugled again. He answered me. It was closer. I grabbed Richie, man, said, just follow me. And we hauled ass and cut like 150 to 200 yards out of it. I put Richie out in front of me and I chuckled one time. He bugled. I put the call down. He walked right past Richie at 40 yards and Cal called and smoked him. Yep. But that's that's generally how we do it, man. That the put the calls away. We'll use them to find them. You know what I mean? Scream at them, do some locating bugles, and then um, put them in our pocket after. A lot of and I and I do you know I do elk calling academy and you know you you yeah. listen to a lot of stuff and it's it really it really is about the calling, right? We're not talking about getting aggressive. We're not talking about running in and cutting that distance. Right. We're talking, you know, slow play. We hear things like that. And right. man, oh man, like two bulls last year. And it was just like, damn, all I had to do was, if I treated it like deer, there would there would have been yeah. a couple dead bulls, you know? And, yeah. and and it's the weirdest thing that that our approach changes because those animals are vocal. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. See, in Utah, you know, being here, it's the exact opposite there. Like, it for one, man, I've been putting in here for 20 years, and I still haven't drawn a limited unit yet, which I keep my fingers crossed. This 2020 might be the year. But here, man, you start bugling on the hill, you, you'll get bulls to answer you. But to, to get a bull to come, it's usually cow calls, right? And all the elk that we've killed in Utah, I've hunted them like mule deer. Um, I usually catch them from transition. So uh, I'll go in and scout during the summer because it's local uh, and I can scout and I'll know where they're watering and bedding. And most generally, man, me and Richie are killing bulls and my, my dad and them uh, in transition areas. We don't even, I don't even talk to them. I'll put a reed in my mouth to stop him. You know what I mean? When I shoot, but might um, catch them coming from water to, to bedding or from bedding to water in the afternoon. And then that, that met those magic hours too, from noon to two, if I, if I can't catch him in a transition area, but I know he's bedded in there, I'll get, I'll, once the thermal stabilize, I'll get on the, the good side, good wind side of him. And I'll just sit, man, nod off and on, eat my snacks and just freaking grind it out under a tree until he gets up and, he may talk or he gets out, comes out and feeds where I can see him. And we'll just sneak in on it like a mule deer and shoot him. What's your, what's your feeling of getting into that dark timber with him? I actually like it, man. If you can, you know, obviously it's all about the wind, but that's how like Colorado, man, you're never, but you could almost leave your binos at home. Um, I, <laughs> I love it over there because of that, like, you get those bulls in that timber, you get away with a lot more movement in that timber. Uh, you can get, get in them shadows and I, I love it, dude. I love getting in, in tight on them and kind of like a wolf, right? Like if you're watching the, the herd move through timber, 
um, I'll just kind of skirt them. I love just hanging with the herd. And eventually the, the best, the best scenario is when they're rutting, right? Like they're, they're buzzing around, they're picking up cows. You got a cow that's kind of feeding off. He's going to come and gather her up, man. If I can find a cow that's kind of hanging off the side of the herd and she's kind of straying a little bit, man, if you can stay close to her, she's money. Like he just, just hang with her. He'll, he'll come and get her. And he gets shot. I love the timber, man. Out here in Utah, it's, it's wide open with timber patches. Uh, and when we hunt them, it's crawling through sagebrush and um, belly crawling and stuff. Over in Colorado, man, I love it because I can, I can upright haul ass from tree to tree. Right. You know what I mean? And stay in the, in the, stay in the shadows. And, yeah. And I'm a fan I of it, it, but but you kind of hear, you know, both sides of that where there's guys that are adamant about, you know, never go into that dark timber. Don't get near the bedding area. Yeah. You're going to blow the area out. Um, yeah. But I, well, I prefer the shadows. Yeah, man. If you, if it's just you and another guy and you're on the same page, man, and, and you get, you know, single file, one, one in front and one in back and you just, you know, especially if you're the guy in the front with the bow and your buddy's filming or whatever he's doing, calling or whatever, and just, you know, move when I move. And you just kind of both of you work together like a machine in there. Um, I, I enjoy the timber, but sometimes in that timber, another thing I like about it is if I'm not getting a shot and he's not really rutting and he's just moving through the timber and stuff, it's easier for me to back out of that timber than it is if I'm, if I'm on my stomach and he's working the edge of a tree line and I can't do nothing. You know what I mean? Like shit, you're, you're kind of stuck. stuck in yeah. that. Yeah. That, that timber, man, you can back out. Um, again, that bull on the element, you know, we knew he was there. I could hear him bugling, but the wind was bad. And I knew as soon as it got warm that those thermals would change and go up that Canyon. That's exactly what they did. And then, I think it was like one thirty. he sounded off and that's what me and Dennis did. We just single file man worked our way in tied on him and killed him. He's like, like 13, 14 yards, something like that. Standing in a, standing in a little wallow. And I watched him for, man, I think that clip I edited was like, I was standing there for like eight minutes before he turned, he turned in that wallow to give me a shot. Just standing in a shadow next to a pine tree. He had no clue eight minutes that seemed like 40 yes, minutes dude no, it seemed like yeah it seemed like half of the hunt i was a wreck I was, <laughs> it's a good it's good it was only a, like a 15 whatever yard shot because yeah i was a wreck man i'll never forget watching my pen dance all over him when i finally came to full draw yeah i was yeah, gonna say thing he was close how, how many times <laughs> did you go to draw or start to draw and go oh shoot oh shoot yeah yeah, a bunch, a bunch. And his cows were kind of milling around, but they were on the uh, downwind side of him. And we were kind of off to the side. So it, it worked out. It was one of those scenarios. I mean, the wind could have switched to any minute and it didn't. But that timber, too, that's another thing I, I like about that timber. For me, usually, it seems like the wind's more steady. I can, I can bank on that wind a little bit more um, in that timber than I can on a, in a, you know, when I say timber, you know what I'm talking about in Colorado, you're in those drainages. So you got to get uphill on a downhill side, but, um, it just seems like that wind's a lot more steady in that timber for me. 
Yeah, and then oh, you get those. And it's nice, too, right? Especially if you're looking like a benched area and you might have some old clear-cut areas. Um, you know, when you're playing all that stuff, those open, you know, those open clear-cuts or the old clear-cuts or whatnot, when that sun is beating down on that one spot and it's between you and that bull, that's favorable, man. I mean, you don't have to, you know, for the most part, you don't have to worry about it. You know, you send that wind right. checker puff and you watch it hit that little spot of sun and shoot straight up and you're like, oh, man, we got this. Yep. <laughs> and it's nice to have it's nice to have all those as much as the win is a disadvantage if we don't play it right, but it's nice to understand what it's doing in those scenarios and use it to your advantage. And like you're saying, it's way better than being on some open face or trying to cross a meadow and skirt them and that wind is just steady eddy, you know, one direction. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I like I like the timber. It took me a little while to figure it out, you know what I mean? But um, now that we've been doing it, uh, that's kind of what we do in Colorado, man. I, I've hunted enough units over there. No matter what unit we go to, we have an idea where the elk are going to be. And now we just, we drop in those drainages and get right in on them and just dog them all day. Move, move, move accordingly. You know what I mean? That, uh, yeah, I'm going to treat, I'm going to treat my, my next season, uh, more, more like a mule deer hunt here at home than, you know, yeah. a, a calling fest. Um, yeah. Kicked me in my butt last year. Yeah, I, just, I mean, I, I can talk elk. I just, I know all the sounds. I know what I'm talking about. I know what, I know how to locate them. I know what, when they're wanting a visual, like I know all that, but it all changes in the heat of the moment, man. You know what I mean? Like, I just, gosh, it's just easier for me to, put them things in my use them when i need them put them away and just go killing you know what i mean and so. that's what i was saying with the risk and reward right because the more we sit there and call one they're getting educated yeah. two they're looking for something they're not going to sit yeah. there and, and just say i hear you they're looking for something they're smelling right it's that time of year he knows what reaction he should be getting especially on an older animal right Oh yeah, if he's an older bull, man. If he if he locks you down, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've seen I've seen those these guys out there that just they're like magicians with elk calls. Like I've seen them work old bulls and get them through. But in my for me personally, when that older that higher age class bull hangs up out there, you might as well just walk away. It ain't. It's, you know what I mean? It's gonna be a straight up miracle if you kill that bull at that point well they're and they're so educated man that's what's i i, I want to <laughs> yeah. say it's amazing but maybe it isn't right i mean that's that's how they survive is adapting to mm. their environments and with the amount of guys that are you know trekking around out there everybody's screaming the same scream um you know our experience in colorado this year we were i mean the bugles were so they were barely audible man i mean just quick like hey i'm here then you hear some raking and it's you know it's like man you, you're just gonna have to go in on that and we sat there and tried to call try to get them to come in and it was the same response every time you they'd stay there they'd rake you might get one little whack chuckle and then they're out they're just they're ghosting you never to be heard or seen again you know yep that's exactly how it went that's how it went that year this year for us same thing you get a real quick squeal out of them he knew he was there we we dive in on him we got close a couple times but i had a really big probably the biggest five point 
for sure the biggest five point I'd ever killed, but, um, he, he walked out into a clearing, started beating up a tree. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I even looked at Richie and said, I'm going to kill this bull. And Richie moved off to my left with my daughter and I slid up. I got within 30 yards, man, wind howling in my face. All I had to, he needed to take one more step and he was, he was kind of working his way around this pine tree. And man, I, just started to draw on that wind a big gust hit me in the back and i didn't even get the i didn't even get the full draw but that wind this year man like you couldn't predict nothing it was going in every direction at 100 miles an hour it was horrible yeah i think we had the one night man because we base camped um for the majority of it and uh we have oh man i can't think of the name of my freaking it's just a little canvas man little uh Little camera. Oh, matter of like fact, a, you guys, you like guys have one. Tent? No, you guys have yeah. one on, on your uh, deal. Same, the same exact tent, man. It's eluding me right now. The, the brand of it, but man, we thought that son of a bitch was gonna blow away. We were in it, and no. it was just yeah, yeah. It was nuts. Yeah, one of them. It's like a seek outside tent, right? Is that no, no, oh, no, the Kodiak, the Kodiak. Like yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and. uh I think the winds that night hit something like 40, 50 mile an hour. And uh, yeah. same thing, trees in camp, you know, just next to camp were just crashing. And man, it was uh, it was a sleepless night. I don't think I got but about two hours that night. It was so bad. Yeah, we had, there's a spot we hunt over there, a lot of bears. And we, we'd hang our food at night. And man, we were having the food branches break, trees tipping over. Like every night, we were, we'd, have, we'd come back to camp and literally start, we'd tip try to tip trees over that were dead uh because no matter where you know how it is over there you really can't get out of the trees where we hunt in that colorado that kind of country so yeah we're trying to tip trees over and just to stay safe man it was it was brutal it was cold there's there's a couple of nights probably two or three of the coldest nights i've ever been in over there um (laughs) there was i don't know maybe it was the it had to be it had to be about the 15th or 16th and i want to say it it tipped below 20 and it was a yeah. shock you know because it was warm during the day we were looking at you know low to mid 70s for the most for most of the time and that one night man it tipped so low and it was so warm previously that we weren't you know you're in the tent man you might be you know might have some sweats on no shirt you just you know sacked out you're not tucked in the bag and uh man that night right. hit and it was just you know <laughs> it just chatters man no yeah yeah we i'm kind of weird I, I don't know man it's a weird thing that i do but i we when we go backpack in there i don't i don't ever build a fire man and my old man I'll take my old man. He gets pissed off because I won't let him build a fire. But um, my my thinking on that is, you know, backpacking. We're sleeping with the elk, right? Like you're you're literally in there. You're in between areas. They know you start building a fire, man. They know you're there. I could be wrong. A lot of people say no. They're used to the campfire smoke or Why whatever. But we just don't. Yeah. So we just don't build fires if if everybody's tagged out or it's the last night, you know, we'll build a fire and, you know, we all bring a little, one of them little airplane bottles of freaking whiskey and have a shot and cheers and in the hunt. But this year was the first year in Colorado uh, with my daughter being there. 
man, it got so freaking cold during the middle of the day. It was, we were at like 90, I think it was like 9,800 feet. And it was so freaking cold and windy. We found a, a, a great big notch in between some rocks and some pine trees. And uh, me and Richie built a, built a huge fire. I couldn't take it no more. I'm like, dude, I just need something to like kind of bring my spirits up. Yeah. But a campfire sounds really good right now. So, man, the morale yeah, boost. A, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's them little things too. That those intangibles, man, that keep you grinding too. Heck those yeah. little things like a like a dumb campfire keep you there a couple more days. Mm-hmm. Man, that, that for sure. Those little kicks to the morale, man, are they're priceless. Yeah. <laughs> they are priceless. Oh yeah. Yep. Agreed. So, um, yeah, man, I, I, I could talk elk for hours, man. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> Jesus. So a little bit, man, a little bit about, uh, how we, how we know each other is, is the Hoffman boot thing, man. So should you yeah. give us a little plug for Hoffman and, and your experience with them and et cetera, et cetera. Dude, nothing but good. I've doing all this for as long as I have, I've, I pretty much run every boot you could you can name. I've I've ran them at some point or another, um, and I'm I've I've always found something in every boot. Like I've had good boots, and Bob Morgan, man, good good friend of mine. He oh two years ago he reached out to me at at an expo uh, during during the trade shows and. He said, dude, do me a favor. I know what you do in the kind of hunting. Try these. So I went and met with, uh, at the trade show, Tommy Hoffman. Man, he, he, I went to their booth that they were with Bob there, I believe. And he gave me the, the spiel on them, you know. And I thought, well, shit. I, I, I honestly, I've never even heard of Hoffman at that point. You know, they've been more of a work boot, like a lineman type boot. And, uh, he gave me the spiel and after the hunt, I got a pair or after the expo, I got a pair. Um, and that would have been February. So as soon as those shows are over, man, we can't get in a truck with hounds fast enough to go hunt lions. Cause we have from all oh, February to like April. And that's when it gets really good for us down here on that kind of our thaw. Right. So I grabbed a fresh pair of boots, got in the truck and I don't know if you've ever had any experience hunting mountain lions but dude you will walk i mean there's days you'll tree a lion 200 yards from the truck but that's one out of 800 times that that's gonna happen right so you'll when those hounds go uh, on a on a hot track like you will walk i've literally put 20 plus miles in in a day um getting to a tree rounding dogs up and getting back and i went fresh into a hunt just like that with those brand new Hoffmans. And, and honestly, I was kind of worried as we were watching the dogs just cover ground um, after this big Tom. And anyway, they got him treed. Long story short, man, it was about, oh, eight inches of snow with two inches of mud underneath of it, man. And I walked my ass off all freaking day long. I got home and I actually forgot during the middle of that that I even had them on. Like I totally, they never even crossed my mind what was on my feet and we got back and as we're loading hounds in my buddy jess is like dude so how do you like those boots and i was like holy shit man i totally forgot i'm like well so far they're badass i totally forgot i had them on and that's a good thing you know what i mean when you're not paying attention to your boots so 
Uh, so I wore them that whole lion season. I probably put 50, 60 miles on them uh, throughout the lion season into bear season. And then I went that following year and just killed it that year, man. I, I think every tag I had, I filled that year. Um, did a lot of two or three hard, hard backpack hunts, man. And then some easy backpacks and whatever. And after it was all said and done, man, I called Bob and I'm like, that's it, dude. I, I, all my, I won't say other boot names, but I took every other pair of boots that I had and threw them on a freaking yard sale, ditched them to family members or whoever wanted them. And, uh, I'll have a look back and I won't dude. They're, they're solid, dude. I love how stiff they are. I know a lot of guys like the shorter boots. Um, but they're eight inch boot, man. It's super stiff, which I, I, I love it. And dude, the kind of hunting we do with backpacks, they're, their boot upper, when you lace that thing on, it'll lock your heel in there. And I, I've struggled with my left foot my whole life with getting heel blisters. And I have yet to even get a, get a hot spot with a Hoffman. Um, I had a, I did have one little glitch in one pair of boots. I've, I've had a couple pair now and I had one little glitch in a, in a pair. I don't even remember what it was. It was just something stupid. I had mentioned it. And I, I called him. He told me to call him. I called him. He literally, he literally sent me a pair of boots that, that were, he, he shipped them to my friend's house on the way to another hunt. That was this year. They showed up at my buddy's. I put a brand new pair of boots on and hunted Colorado for nine days and never had a single issue with a brand new pair of boots. Um, would be considered a service risk. is huge. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's yeah. Like I was. I was sweating it. And even the guys I was hunting with this year, uh, my buddy Richie and Spencer, they're like, dude, you are crazy putting those boots on. And I'm like, well, there ain't no better way to, to find out. Right. And I, I actually took, I made a little video and, and did some stuff for Hoffman on Instagram because of that trip. And, um, not only are they a badass boot and they just fit what I do. Uh, it's a, their company's awesome and their their customer service man literally is second to none dude uh, another quick story with jim hoffman i had a lion hunter coming in town um he was hunting with my buddy um and i know the guy and he booked a hunt with my buddy and he calls me up and he says i got a problem man i'm flying out tomorrow and i don't know what happened to my boots I, I don't remember the story, but he was having a hard time and couldn't find his boots and couldn't buy a pair. And he was literally going to land and he, and he wanted the Hoffmans. Um, he had, he had talked to me a lot about my experience with them. And I'm like, he's like, I don't know how to get him there. So I gave him, I, I went out on a limb and I gave him Jim Hoffman's cell phone number because it was kind of an emergency. I mean, the guy spent, you know, 6,000 bucks on a lion hunt. Uh, so I gave him Jim Hoffman's phone number. He, lo- he he got on the plane the next morning. Those boots were at my buddy's house the next day. Damn, that's and crazy. And he hunted the entire, yeah, and then he hunted the entire hunt with those boots and they had a problem. He's a Hoffman fan for life. Uh, like, dude, that's customer service right there. You call the owner, you know what I mean? Oh, and he ships yeah. you out a pair of boots. Like, I'm super impressed with the man. Super impressed. I'm a Hoffman guy for life for sure brass tacks right they're not very well known and like you said it, you know linemen uh, loggers those guys you talk to some oh, of those yeah. guys and they will they'll never look at another boot bob's one of them nope. right he wears them yeah. for everything 
And then they, well, I don't see, I don't even know if I can even say anything about the, the ones that, uh, yeah, we were shown, right. The, the guys that are on right. the, the team staff, whatever the hell it is. Oh um, yeah. Right. Man, I, I am, I am more than excited about those. Me too, dude. I'm pumped because it, so that fits like, gosh, man, that's a boot that I've been wanting. Dying right? like, for. It gets so hot. <laughs> yeah. Like it gets so hot down here during, during our pole hunts in August in Southern Utah. And you're me and me, me and my kid have been stocking mule there and it's 102 degrees. Yeah. Dude. Like getting your ass cooked out there. And like, he, they've come out with this boot that that's everything I've already have that addresses the heat. I guess that's, that's what that's all i'll say but i'm i'm super jacked for that dude yeah i'm hoping to Um, see i'm hoping to see a sneak peek of that man in uh utah at the show so hopefully they'll yeah uh, hopefully they'll have them i hope so i was gonna actually ask bob uh if if they were bringing a pair and i i totally spaced it because i'm i'm stoked to see that because they as soon as they're available, I'm getting, getting them. them. Yep, done deal. <laughs> <laughs> yep, done, done deal. <laughs> well, shoot, man. I oh no, I I'm not gonna end it. Um, so one of the things that I'm that I started doing with you know the new year um, is no matter how long we've been hunting, whether you've been hunting for two years, twenty years, thirty years, there's in my opinion there's always room for learning and growth and improvement. What's uh what's one thing that you're looking on for improving for the next season? Oh man, you know that's a tough one, dude. I I've actually thought about this a lot because um, this year, like I said at the beginning of this, man, I I kind of took a a hiatus this year with uh, social media and and the filming, and um, it was a uh, it was due time for me to kind of pull away uh, from all that stuff. You know that social media shit can get under your skin, man. You just gotta, you, you know what I'm saying? But you gotta find the good in it because it's there. So anyway, this year taking a year off and just kind of every once in a while, I trick a little photo out and and keep things alive or whatever. But, um, I need to, this for, for me in 2020, it's just focusing on, uh, and I'm, I say this to my kids all the time. Um, I'm, I'm kind of one of those guys that I only worry about me. You know what I mean? My, me and my circle. I try to not get involved and not care. Uh, I put up walls and kind of don't care what other people are doing, and it, and it's not good. So this year, that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm gonna. I need to improve as far as that goes, man. Um, that's on a that's on a personal note. And then on the hunting the hunting side of this, dude. Uh, like you said, there's always always something to learn, dude. And this year in call. Yeah, and this year in Colorado, getting my, uh, you know, as long as I've hunted elk, I got my ass handed to me. I have never been so beat up <laughs> by elk, and I, I almost wish I could redo it. And 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 ch- now that I'm home, you know, you think about, man, I should have done this or I should have tried man. that. Yeah, right. Twenty twenty. Yeah. So this year, man, instead of being stuck on those one plans, dude, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try new things as far as technique goes, uh, especially when it comes to elk, man. You know, I listen to the uh, Elk Calling Academy and um, a whole bunch of those other things out there. I'm constantly 
anything elk related, right? Like I'm, I magnetized to it. So, um, I'm really going to do that this year, uh, with my elk hunts, man. And, uh, a specific point was we hunted high because that's where the elk always are. And there was elk there, but on the way out, man, on our last day hiking out, you got to come off all those mountains and get down to the main trails to get to the truck. And I jumped more bulls at, at like, like it, like at 6,000 feet than I seen in nine days at 9,000 feet. You know what I mean? And my buddy hunting and even my kid had said that maybe we should hunt low and we didn't, you know, mostly due to me. And if we would have may have been a different story, you know what I mean? So, so yeah, as far as hunting goes, I'm, I'm actually kind of excited this year on some of my elk hunts to, to not be so hard headed and try those, those other techniques and different things. You know what I mean? So that's what I got planned. Good deal, man. Well, uh, shoot, I'll see you in just about a month then at the Utah yeah. show. I'll stop by. And- yeah, I do. Let's, uh, get your get your hands on some of this stuff man and maybe we could uh sit down and do another one heck yeah yeah we'll get uh get recorded there man we'll get some visuals out there and uh and help you along with that man but yeah ron i appreciate the time man it was great chatting with you yeah brother i appreciate it thanks buddy you too listening follow and tag us on instagram at western contours jump on itunes google play and podbean subscribe leave us a comment and don't forget to hit that five star rating we appreciate the support and until next time lay them down we spend a lot of time preparing for our hunts and how we fuel our efforts is key head over to valley to peak nutrition.com helping you perform optimally in the backcountry the purpose of valley to peak is to provide sound nutritional information supported by science to help you prepare and perform optimally in the backcountry there's no secret this is done through education coaching and programming based on personal goals and preferences head over to valley to peak nutrition.com or catch them on instagram at v2p nutrition